We turn for our scripture reading to Proverbs chapter 10. Proverbs chapter 10. The Proverbs of Solomon. A wise son maketh a glad father, but a foolish son is the heaviness of his mother. Treasures of wickedness profit nothing, but righteousness delivereth from death. The Lord will not suffer the soul of the righteous to famish, but he casteth away the substance of the wicked. He becometh poor that dealeth with a slack hand, but the hand of the diligent maketh rich. He that gathereth in summer is a wise son, but he that sleepeth in harvest is a son that causeth shame. Blessings are upon the head of the just, but violence covereth the mouth of the wicked. The memory of the just is blessed, but the name of the wicked shall rot. The wise in heart will receive commandments, but a prating fool shall fall. He that walketh uprightly walketh surely, but he that perverteth his ways shall be known. He that winketh with the eye causeth sorrow, but a prating fool shall fall. The mouth of a righteous man is a well of life, but violence covereth the mouth of the wicked. Hatred stirreth up strifes, but love covereth all sins. In the lips of him that hath understanding, wisdom is found, but a rod is for the back of him that is void of understanding. Wise men lay up knowledge, but the mouth of the foolish is near destruction. The rich man's wealth is his strong city. The destruction of the poor is their poverty. The labor of the righteous tendeth to life, the fruit of the wicked to sin. He is in the way of life that keepeth instruction, but he that refuseth reproof erreth. He that hideth hatred with lying lips, and he that uttereth a slander is a fool. In the multitude of words there wanteth not sin, but he that refraineth his lips is wise. The tongue of the just is as choice silver, the heart of the wicked is little worth. The lips of the righteous feed many, but fools die for want of wisdom. The blessing of the Lord, it maketh rich, and he addeth no sorrow with it. It is as sport to a fool to do mischief, but a man of understanding hath the wisdom. The fear of the wicked, it shall come upon him, but the desire of the righteous shall be granted. As the whirlwind passeth, so is the wicked no more, but the righteous is an everlasting foundation. As vinegar to the teeth, and as smoke to the eyes, so is the sluggard to them that send him. The fear of the Lord prolongeth days, but the years of the wicked shall be shortened. The hope of the righteous shall be gladness, but the expectation of the wicked shall perish. The way of the Lord is strength to the upright, 
but destruction shall be to the workers of iniquity. The righteous shall never be removed, but the wicked shall not inhabit the earth. The mouth of the just bringeth forth wisdom, but the froward tongue shall be cut out. The lips of the righteous know what is acceptable, but the mouth of the wicked speaketh frowardness. We read that far. May the Lord bless unto our hearts the reading of his word. We consider together verse 19. In the multitude of words there wanteth not sin, but he that refraineth his lips is wise. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, I want to begin the sermon this afternoon by briefly mentioning why I've been preaching some of the Proverbs in our afternoon sermons lately. The reason that I've been doing that is not that as your pastor I've been observing you and compiling a list of what I consider to be the greatest problems or weaknesses in the congregation, and that I've decided that I'm going to use the Proverbs as a way to address each of those weaknesses one by one, so to speak. Now, it's true that every congregation of Jesus Christ has certain weaknesses. We have ours as well, and perhaps we can even list them. And it's also true that there are times when the preaching ought to address, identify and address specific sins or weaknesses that are in the congregation. But I feel that it's important that I tell you that that's not the specific reason why I've chosen to preach the specific texts I've been preaching If you have been finding through these sermons that they do address prevalent sins in your life or sins that you consider prevalent in the congregation, then that's entirely the work of God and the Holy Spirit, and we should give thanks to God that he loves us so much that he would guide the preacher to choose texts that have a real relevance for us. But the main reason that I've been preaching through some of these Proverbs has been simply that in the morning sermons, in God's providence, I've been preaching through the articles of the Christian faith in the Apostles' Creed, and those sermons are more doctrinal. And so I thought in order to give you a well-balanced spiritual diet, that I would bring sermons about the Christian life in the afternoon. And the book of Proverbs is a very fitting way to do that. I'm trying to give heed to the calling laid upon me as your pastor, as Paul said to Timothy and Titus, that they must preach sound doctrine and they must teach the things that become sound doctrine, that is, godliness, because doctrine is according to godliness. 
The book of Proverbs, as we have seen, addresses a wide variety of subjects, and we have seen in various ways how these Proverbs point us to Christ. So practical preaching is not just about us and how we are to live. It always points us first to Christ, to the way he lived, to his righteousness, to his goodness, and to his salvation. But then the Proverbs are also showing us how we are to live as we follow Jesus Christ in our lives. We have seen the wisdom of God regarding our possessions, the wisdom of God regarding our work, regarding our entertainment, regarding friendship, regarding sexuality, regarding womanhood and manhood, and more. And today we turn our attention to a subject that makes up many of the Proverbs, And if you would read it for your personal devotions, you could take note of text after text after text that speaks about our use of our tongue, our lips, our mouth. I have chosen to preach on this particular text, verse 19, but we're also going to take note of several of the other Proverbs and how they help us to understand God's will concerning our Speech, The wise governing of our speech. That's the title of the sermon. Notice, first of all, the folly of multiplying our words. Secondly, the wisdom of restraining our lips. And thirdly, the governing motive of love. The text teaches us, first of all, that in the multitude of words, there wanteth not sin, or there is no lack of of sin. What does the Holy Spirit mean to teach us by that opening statement of the text? He means to say that as fallen human beings, when we talk a lot, we also sin a lot. When we multiply words so that a steady stream of words comes out of our mouth, then there is inevitably also a steady stream of sin that comes out of our mouths. When we multiply words, there wanteth not sin. There is no lack of sin, but there is a lot of sin. Now we could apply the text to the ways that we speak and the areas in which we speak in all of life. The text can be applied to the multiplying of words in an email, the multiplying of words in a social media post, the multiplying of words even in a protest or appeal to synod or classes. It can be applied to the multiplying of words in our conversations as we're sitting in the family room around the fire, on the couches with our family or friends and engaging in intimate conversation. It can be applied to the conversations we have here at church, after the worship services, or downstairs at lunchtime. It can refer to the conversations we have on the phone with a family member, whether near or far away, or that we have in the restaurant with our friends on the weekend. It can be applied to the debates that we have with people who disagree with us, sometimes even sharp disagreements, and debates. 
It can refer to speeches that are given on the floor of an ecclesiastical assembly. It can refer to even the sermons that are preached right here from the pulpit. In the multitude of words, there is no lack of sin. When we open our mouths and pour forth a flurry of words, there is no end of sinning against God and our neighbor. And so the Holy Spirit is teaching us here the folly of multiplying words, the folly of talking too much, of speaking more than we ought to, and warning us against the danger when we do that of adding sin after sin after sin. Now, we always have to understand these Proverbs clearly, and so we want to cut with a clear and sharp knife and understand what the text does not mean and what the Holy Spirit is not saying. The Holy Spirit is not teaching us here that all multiplying of words is sinful and foolish. Because elsewhere, throughout the Proverbs and throughout Scripture as a whole, the Holy Spirit commends to us the multiplying of good words the pouring forth out of our mouths of good, wholesome, and edifying speech. For example, even right in the chapter that we read, notice in verse 11, it says, The mouth of a righteous man is a well of life, but violence covereth the mouth of the wicked. Think, for example, of a friend who is speaking to another friend who is suffering or in need. And that friend opens up his mouth and he pours forth a multitude of words of comfort, of encouragement, trying to build up the brother in his sufferings. His mouth is a well of life, a life-giving source of comfort and encouragement. Or as we read in verse 13, In the lips of him that hath understanding, wisdom is found but a rod is for the back of him that is void of understanding. Think, for example, of a mother in the home opening up her Bible and reading a multitude of words to her children or opening up other good books and reading a multitude of words to her children. The lips of that mother hath understanding and wisdom is found in her lips. In verse 20, we read, The tongue of the just is as choice silver, The heart of the wicked is little worth. Imagine the father at the family dinner table. After supper, after devotions, he folds his hands and he prays. And with fervency and earnestness, he pours forth a multitude of words of prayer to God on behalf of the family. That man's tongue is as choice silver. Verse 21 says, The lips of the righteous feed many, but fools die for want of wisdom. The lips of the preacher that brings forth a multitude of the words, not of himself, but the words of God, who brings forth from the scripture a steady stream, a steady flow of wholesome gospel words. That preacher's lips feed many. So we see that the Holy Spirit certainly commends to us the speaking of a multitude of words. And we can even say this, that just because a person is an extrovert, we have introverts and we have extroverts, 
There are some people who just speak more and some who just speak less. That doesn't all by itself make the extroverted person a fool or a sinner or a person who's multiplying all kinds of sins. To be an extrovert is a gift of God. Our personality traits are gifts from God. But it might be true that someone who is outgoing and extroverted will have to pay attention to a text like this and realize there might be a special struggle for him or her to avoid this foolishness. What then does the Holy Spirit mean? The Holy Spirit means that in the multitude of words that come out of an uncontrolled, undisciplined tongue, that come forth from the heart of a person who doesn't think before he speaks, who doesn't take care about the things that he speaks, and who allows emotion to drive him to speak whatever he thinks and whatever comes to mind, as soon as he thinks it, in that multitude of words, there wanteth not sin. It's talking about multiplying so many words without thinking, without caring, driven by passion, driven by emotion, so that a flurry and a a river of speech comes out. Whether we're doing that in the pulpit, whether we're doing that in reply to a post on social media, whether we're doing that by discussion in our living room, in the multitude of words, there wanteth not sin. Notice a few examples of that. In the first place, in the multitude of words, there is no lack of pride and selfishness. In Proverbs 14, verse 3, we read this, In the mouth of the foolish is a rod of pride, but the lips of the wise shall preserve them. If you're multiplying words, if I'm multiplying words, often the reason we're doing that is because we're selfish. It's because we're proud. And we tend to talk most about ourselves. We talk most about the things that interest us, the things that affect us. We talk most about our own success, our own achievements, our own accomplishments, our own honors, our own pleasures, our own vacations, our own homes, our own possessions, our own children. So much of our conversation revolves around me and myself and the things that I care about. And when other people are talking to us about their interests, their concerns, their problems, their needs, how often do we become bored? And how often does our patience grow thin? And as soon as we have opportunity, we launch again into more talk about ourselves. So the proverb is talking about that. The multiplying of words when we're talking, talking, talking about ourselves. That's a revelation of our selfishness and our pride that is deep within us and how the world often revolves around us. Furthermore, in the multitude of words, there is no lack of gossip and backbiting. There is no lack of the kind of speech that sows discord and strife in families and schools and churches and society. Listen to Proverbs 11, verse 13. A talebearer or a gossip, revealeth secrets, but he that is of a faithful spirit concealeth the matter. 
Proverbs 16, verse 28 says, A froward man soweth strife, and a whisperer separateth chief friends. When we are multiplying words, often the reason for that is that we are talking negatively and critically about other people. Very infrequently are we talking negatively about ourselves. It's very infrequently that we're criticizing ourselves. It's usual that we're criticizing other people. We're talking negatively about others. We've heard this or we've heard that rumor. And now we're spreading that rumor to other people. We're telling people about the sins and the faults and the failures of everybody else. Because probably it makes us feel good about ourselves to tell others about the failures of other people. And so we spread our rumors and we spread our gossip. We spread news of the latest sins and the latest scandals that have taken place, whether in society or in the church or in the family. And so we multiply words, and there wanteth not sin in that. Sometimes we even know that we ought to keep it quiet. We ought to keep it confidential. We should conceal this matter, but we can't help ourselves. And we multiply words like a talebearer, and we spread evil news about others. Furthermore, there's no lack of sin when we multiply words in an angry rant. How often do we allow our emotions to drive us, our passions, and in our anger about something, we react and we multiply words in a post online or in a conversation face to face. Because of our anger. We read in Proverbs 15, 1 and 2, A soft answer turneth away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. The tongue of the wise useth knowledge aright, but the mouth of fools poureth out foolishness. Or how often is it that at work or with our friends, whether we're young people or older, We multiply words of foolish jesting and inappropriate language, even cussing and swearing and saying words that we really ought not to say and words that we absolutely ought not to say. We multiply words, and there wanteth not sin. And there are many, many other examples that we could give. The main teaching of the text is very general. When we multiply words... Generally, there is no lack of sin in the words that we speak. Now, as we hear about the sins that are not lacking when we multiply words, does it prick our conscience? Does it pierce our soul as we realize, I do that. I do that all the time. I'm guilty of that. Then the text is pointing us to Jesus Christ as our Savior. The text is humbling us to see how many sins we commit every day. We so often are tempted to think that we are basically good people, especially now that we're Christians, we're basically good people. And yet, how often in our conversations, and in the multitude of ways that we communicate? Do we add sin 
after sin, after sins, pride and anger and foolishness. We do. And so the scriptures point us to the Lord Jesus Christ. And the scriptures hold up before us Jesus, the one and only man, once again, in all of history, who multiplied words but never sinned, who multiplied words throughout his life, words of wisdom, words of salvation, words of the gospel, and every word that he spoke was a word that was choice silver, was coming up out of the well of life of his own heart and soul. Pure words, lovely words, perfect, righteous words. And when people spoke harsh words to him and against him, when they lied, when they accused, when they mocked him, he restrained his lips and he was silent, as we saw this morning, as a lamb before her shears is dumb. He went to the cross and he restrained his lips and did not return evil for evil. And then at the cross, Jesus took upon himself the enormous burden of that great multitude of sinful words that we have spoken and that we speak every single day. He took that multitude of sins upon himself and suffered what we deserve on the cross and bore it all away. Why did he do that? So that through the precious blood of Christ, God would have a just basis for forgiving all of our sins, all of our multitude of sins and sinful words. And so that God, through the Holy Spirit, would cleanse our lips, would sanctify our tongues through the blood of Jesus Christ more and more and enable us to put off the wicked words and to put on the good words, the wholesome words, to guard our tongues against those words that stink of pride and anger and foolishness, and to put on and speak the words that are a sweet aroma in the nostrils of God. In the multitude of words there wanteth not sin, but he that refraineth his lips is wise. The Proverbs often teach us the way of wisdom by a contrast. The contrast here is between multiplying words, sending forth a stream of speech on the one hand, and on the other hand, restraining our lips, guarding our tongues, keeping our mouths closed, and not speaking when often we otherwise would. He that restrains his lips is a person who does not speak all the time. He chooses to keep his mouth closed sometimes. It's talking here about a very intentional decision to restrain your lips. It's not just that at times you don't dare to speak or you just have nothing to say, but you do have something to say and you don't say it. You decide not to say it. You decide to restrain your tongue And keep it inside. He that restrains his lips is the person who does not always react to everything that he hears. Who does not always react to everything that he sees or everything that he reads. He controls his emotions. He's not an emotionally driven speaker. He has disciplined himself 
He controls his feelings and therefore controls what he says. He that restrains his lips is a person who also lets other people speak. He doesn't always have to be the one who's speaking. He's ready to be quiet for a while and let others talk about their lives, their interests, their cares, their needs, and problems. And he's ready to listen. He's a person who speaks less than he otherwise would if he was not wise. He that restrains his lips is wise. The text is saying that a person who practices self-restraint with his lips is prudent. He is wise. He is a person of understanding. He is a person with the Holy Spirit in his heart who is regulating and bridling his tongue. He is a person who knows the wisdom of God. For example, in Ecclesiastes 3, verse 7, which says there is a time to keep silence and a time to speak. Not every time is a time to speak. There are times when we ought to be silent. Now let's cut clearly with the text and understand what it doesn't mean. The Holy Spirit is not saying here that all restraining of our lips is wise. That wouldn't be true. There are times when we restrain our lips and we shouldn't. We should speak. We should speak up. We should speak up, for example, when we are in a social setting in which people are backbiting and gossiping and slandering other people. We should speak up, not to spread those rumors as well, but to put them to a halt and in a humble manner, as humble manner as we can. Tell them that they ought not to speak that way. Also, we ought not to be restraining our lips when there is heresy in the church, when there is heresy in the pulpit, then we ought to speak up, we ought to protest that heresy. Or when there is injustice in the church and oppression and abuse, there's a time to speak, to speak up, to speak out, and to seek change and reformation. If we as husbands are restraining our lips from speaking words of kindness to our wives, Words of encouragement, words of comfort, words of compliment. That's not wise. That's foolish. We ought to speak those words to them. And if we are restraining our lips from speaking anything at all to certain people in the church because we don't like them or we don't care for them, that too is not wise. That's not a wise restraining of our lips. That's rather foolishness and sin. And then we can say this too with regard to extroverts and introverts. Some people are introverted. They are people who are more shy than others. They don't tend to speak very much. And if we are an introvert, we should not just assume that the text is saying to us, you are a wise person. Just simply the fact that we don't speak very much doesn't make us wise. And just as we said about the extrovert, his challenge or her challenge will be to restrain and and bridle the tongue. The challenge of the introvert may be there are times when we should speak. There are times when we ought to speak out and it might not be enjoyable 
It might take a lot of courage, but we have to do it. There's a time to speak and a time to be silent. So the Holy Spirit is here commending to us the wisdom of careful and thoughtful self-restraint regarding the words that we choose to speak. The Holy Spirit is teaching us to think before we speak, to think carefully about the words we're about to say, to control our emotions, whether we're in the pulpit, whether we're in a social setting, at a restaurant, or in our homes, or typing something up on our computer. He's calling us to a careful and thoughtful self-restraint. He who restrains his lips, for example, from constantly speaking about himself or herself is wise. Jeremiah 9, verses 23 and 24, Thus saith the Lord, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, neither let the mighty man glory in his might, let not the rich man glory in his riches, but let him that glorieth glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me, that I am the Lord, which exercise loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things do I delight, saith the Lord. The Lord doesn't delight when we are glorying in ourselves, our achievements, our success, our riches, our wisdom, or all of that in regard to our children, boasting about them. The Lord does not delight when we boast and when we multiply words of boasting. But the Lord delights when we boast in him. When we boast in this, that the Lord is full of loving kindness and judgment and righteousness. When we talk about the Lord and his greatness and his power, and if anyone would praise us, we deflect that praise to the Lord. The Lord delights when we practice self-restraint. The scriptures say in many places that we need to be slow to speak, slow to wrath, and rather to listen to others. Furthermore, he is a wise man or she is a wise woman who restrains his lips from spreading gossip and rumors. Proverbs 12, verse 23, A prudent man concealeth knowledge, but the heart of fools proclaimeth foolishness. Proverbs 13, verse 3, He that keepeth his mouth keepeth his life, but he that openeth wide his lips shall have destruction. I think we all need to grow in this regard that we conceal the things that we know. Sometimes we think that if we know something, we have the right to spread it. And often there's no filter between what we know and what we share, what we know and what we tell others about. There has to be a filter. There has to be a a mental, spiritual, in-between process in which we carefully think, should I or should I not, Share this. Spread this with others. That's the prudent person who does that. And then, furthermore, he is wise who restrains his lips when he hears things he doesn't like. 
restrains himself from reacting emotionally as soon as he hears or sees something that he does not like. Proverbs 15, verse 28 says, The heart of the righteous studieth to answer, but the mouth of the wicked poureth out evil things. We all need to learn that as well. We're very reactive. We hear something and we react. We have to stop before we react. We have to think. We have to study to answer so that we carefully consider how we respond. And then we don't react, but we act. Because before we act, before we speak, we have carefully thought through what we're going to say. That's the wisdom of the text. Now again, if you're hearing all of this and responding to this sermon the way I respond to it, you're probably feeling that's impossible. It's impossible for me to do. I think we're right to respond to the text that way. If we respond to the text by thinking, okay, I can do this. I am resolved again to guard my tongue and my lips. That's good. We ought to be resolved again to do that. But if we think, I can do this now, I can do this, I'm going to set myself to it, and I'm going to do better. And I can, I can do that. And we're focusing on me and I and what I can do. That's a mistake. Our first response to the text ought to be, that's impossible for me to do. I can't do that. I know myself too well. I know how prone I am to multiply words that do not lack sin. And I know how incapable I am of restraining myself. Who can do this? Who can perfectly bridle the tongue so that we always avoid saying the wrong thing at the wrong time, in the wrong way, and with the wrong amount of words? Who of us can avoid all gossip and rumor spreading and tail-bearing? Who of us can perfectly control our emotions from reacting None of us. There's only one. We already saw who that is. Only Jesus was able to do that, and only Jesus actually did it. That's why the gospel always presents Christ to us as our righteousness and says, don't you ever think that you can do that and be approved and righteous before God just by trying harder. No. You are righteous before God fully and freely and perfectly in Christ who used his lips to speak wisdom perfectly through his whole life. And so flee for shelter under the overarching wings of your Savior and receive his righteousness by faith and have the comfort that in his goodness and righteousness you are righteous. And then we find the motivation to resolve, to grow in the bridling of our tongues. What is that motivation? Love. Love is the governing motive and ought to be the governing motive in everything that we speak, every word that we say. Love for God and love for the neighbor. 
We find that in verse 12 of the chapter that we read. Hatred stirreth up strifes, but love covereth all sins. When we speak forth words of selfishness and pride, we stir up strife in our relationships. But love covereth sins. Love doesn't spread the rumors. Love conceals things out of a true concern for the name and the reputation and the life of the neighbor. And Proverbs 17, verse 9 says, He that covereth a transgression seeketh love, but he that repeateth a matter separateth very friends. When we repeat things, when we repeat the faults and failures of others, we cause division, separation, even between friends, strife, discord, and all kinds of problems. But when we know the love of God for us, and when we remind ourselves constantly of the great love of Christ for me, who shed his blood for me in order to cleanse me of all the sins of my lips, and to give me the right of everlasting life that I don't deserve. And we will want to respond in love for God who first loved us. We will want to respond by using our tongues to speak praise to the Lord, to sing, to give glory to God, to speak about the Lord in our families, in our marriages, and in our witnessing to our neighbors. And we will long to mortify the sins of the tongue in which we disobey God. When we know the love of Christ for us, we will also want to love our neighbors. We will want to speak words to them that build them up, words of kindness and encouragement. We will want to restrain ourselves from speaking selfish, pride, angry, foolish words. Love is the governing motive and ought to be in all of our speech. Again, the whole scriptures teach that, not just a couple verses in the Proverbs, the whole scripture. Now abideth faith, hope, and love, the apostle says, but the greatest is love. And love is that which guards, governs, and bridles our tongue in the words we speak to and about one another. May God grant unto us the wisdom to bridle our tongues, to control our speech. And may God grant us the love which will govern us to say the right things at the right time in the right way. Amen. Our gracious Father in heaven, we give thanks to thee that thou dost speak such gracious words to us. And we give thanks for our Savior who has taken upon himself all our sins and has atoned for them on the cross. Grant unto us by the knowledge of thy great love for us, a love for thee and a love for one another. Guard our tongues, keep the door of our mouths. Help us, Father, we are so weak. Help us to speak properly and lovingly to one another. In Jesus' name we pray.